If you do have a Bible with you, please would you turn with me to Peter's second letter and chapter 3. Peter's second letter and chapter 3. Peter's writing to Christians who are living in a difficult world and he reminds them about the passage of time. He's telling them, first of all, that God does not measure time the way we measure time and that with God, a thousand years could be like a day and a day could be like a thousand years. And that's why people are not wise to say, if God promises that the end of the world will come, if God says that he'll judge sin when he is ready, that's not going to happen. After all, it hasn't happened for 2,000 years. And Peter's saying, just because it hasn't happened yet does not mean that God is slow or forgetful. Rather, says Peter, God is patient. He says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He goes on from verse 10, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what kind of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Also, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they also do the rest of the scriptures. Let's pray briefly once again. Lord, help us now. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Work by your spirit to convince, to rebuke, to exhort, to humble and to lift up, to draw near to yourself, those who need salvation, and to rejoice those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What do you think of God? Perhaps I should say, if you think of God, what do you think of God? Most people will think of God. And when they think of God, they will often be critical. They will look at the world in which we live and they'll be thinking, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't he do it now? Why doesn't he act sooner? Why doesn't he act better? 
Why doesn't he do more? Why doesn't he do less? Why doesn't he act more rapidly? Why doesn't he go more slowly? Sometimes it's particularly the sin and the misery that is in the world that makes us ask these kinds of questions. It may be the sin and the misery that we see in the world at large. It may be the sin and misery that feels like it's coming very close to home. It may be the sin and the misery of our own lives. Why is God dealing the way he is dealing? Have you ever asked, why does God withhold judgment? Of all the questions that we're, I think, tempted to ask, the one which we don't often get to is, why am I not in hell? Why is the world still standing? Why has God been so good to me? It's his divine patience. That's what Peter's talking about in the passage that we've just read. When God, back in the Old Testament, revealed himself to Moses, it was his long-suffering, his patience, that was very prominent. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And Peter's identified that. We saw it in verse 9. The Lord isn't slack concerning his promise, the way some people are, not bothering to keep his word, but he is long-suffering toward us. Then again in verse 15, consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is patience. And Peter even says, there's this other man who's written some, some of the Bible called Paul, and he isn't always clear for us all to understand, but he has said this, for example, in Romans 2 and verse 4. Do you despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, his holding back, and his long-suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God is good. Therefore, God does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He is not quick to judgment, and that ought to lead us to repentance. This language of long-suffering doesn't mean that, that God is in constant pain. It describes God, as it were, bearing up under the pressure of our sin. It's God holding back, holding off the proper response of his holiness to my sinfulness and yours. And Peter says, I want you to confidently consider this because God's patience with sinners in this fallen world is what gives us an opportunity to repent. It's what gives space for God to gather up his people. And when I was talking to Jane a few days ago, and I asked her, what is precious to you about God, Jane? She said, his patience. He has been patient with me. And it is the long suffering of God that has proved to be Jane's salvation. It's the patience of God that is the reason why anybody here is a Christian. And it's the patience of God, which is why you may still come to Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins. So consider with me briefly this morning God's patience in connection with somebody becoming a Christian. The patience God shows before somebody becomes a Christian. The patience God shows when somebody becomes a Christian. 
and the patience God shows after somebody becomes a Christian. We're going to look at the, the pattern of that life through the eyes of a patient God. First of all, then, God's patience before someone becomes a Christian. And if you are a Christian here today, you want now to be looking back and thinking about the time before God began to deal with your soul. Because although it might have been very open and outward, or it might have been very inward and secret, your life before you were a Christian was a life of rebellion and a life of carelessness. You did not serve the living and true God. You lived without any reference to him. Now bear in mind that the God that you are ignoring is the God who has given you life and breath and all things. I imagine that almost everybody of any reasonable age in this room today could say, I've lost track of the number of times I haven't died. You ever had that? You sort of think, I, I, one of the distinct memories I have, some of you will remember the old church building in Robinson Road uh, under what is now the Asda car park. There used to be a lot of waste ground on the far side of that. And I remember one morning after church, Few of us had gone over there. Uh, there was all this waste ground. There was a road that ran down here. People used to bomb down it, and there were hedges on the side. And I remember running out through the hedges. I remember watching a car go flying past. It must have been about 40 miles an hour, about two inches away from my toes and my face. Why am I still here? Why haven't you died? because of the diseases that you've suffered? Why haven't you been snatched away by accidents? Why haven't you choked on something? Why is it that you've still got a measure of life and strength and, and health and so many good things? You might say, well, I haven't got this or I suffer that or I struggle with that. My friend, there is breath in your body and there is mercy from God. And with all those good things, and with all of the ways that God has spared you and blessed you, remember Jane's testimony, the time when she was, where were you walking through where those lads came up to you? Oh, we were walking back from a Christian event one night. Yeah, where in London were you? Halsden. Halsden, walking through Halsden, that's it. And there's a, a bunch of guys come up. And Jane's by herself in a policewoman's uniform. Anything could have happened under those circumstances. And yet the Lord spared her. And that's before she was a Christian. Now, while we're living in this way, we're not worshipping God and God only. We're not worshipping him as he has told us we should worship him. We use his name as a curse to blaspheme. Rolls off our tongues so easily. We don't pay any attention to the first day of the week, the Lord's day. We don't come to worship him. We despise authorities. We, we're full of hatred, which the Bible says is murder. We're full of lust, which the Bible says is adultery. We're full of greed, which the Bible says is theft. We tell lies day after day. Sometimes they trip off our tongues. I have, I have friends, we know people. They, they lie as easily as they breathe. And maybe that's you. Or full of envy. Perhaps... And it's true of many of us, we had a Bible. Not just available to us, but we had the word of God. It was in our homes, perhaps it was in our hands. Maybe we knew the truth, 
we went to Sunday school perhaps, or we'd been taught something at school or at church in some way. But despite all God's goodness, and despite all of the restraints that he imposed upon us to keep us from sin, and all the opportunities that he gave us to know him, we broke through every barrier. We cast off every restraint that both God and men imposed. We despised God's mercies and we lived as we pleased. And what did God do? He didn't put you in hell. If you're a parent, how would you respond if you took your little child and you've been nursing them through sicknesses, you've been caring for them, feeding them, putting clothes on their backs. And then perhaps you take that child and you, you sit them on your lap and they start spitting at you and punching you. You'd say, how ungrateful. Or an adult child comes back and you think, you know, you're the, the, the child of my womb, you're the son that I've loved. I've raised you up, I've trained you. We've always given you all that you need. And that child comes back and says, I want nothing to do with you. I despise you and I will not live with any reference to you. How grievous, how distressing, how righteously angry that might make you. And yet that is essentially the way that all of us by nature have lived with regard to God. And God was long-suffering toward us. Despite all our provocations, God has spared us, preserved us, and even today is telling us his good news. All of those times when it might have been the end and you would have been ushered into judgment before the living and true God. And he's even blessed you. He's done so much good for you. Again, the language that Jane uses in her testimony, he was sowing seeds. Before Jane knew God, God was sowing seeds in her life. Christian, do you not look back with wonder at the way God dealt with you before you were a Christian? Some of us, perhaps, who were brought up in Christian homes and kicked hard against the goats. Why did God not cast us off? Some of us who knew nothing of God, no one ever told us about Jesus Christ. I've had friends, they were 15, they were 20, before they so much as knew that the God of the Bible was merciful and kind. They had no real knowledge of the Jesus of the Bible. And yet, despite the fact that they'd lived without any thought of him, God sent the good news to them. Do you look back with wonder, Christian? And if you're not a Christian here this morning, do you look around with wonder? Because you should be asking this morning, why has God spared me still? And why am I even here today with a man telling me about God's patience and God's mercy in Jesus Christ? When you think about God's patience before someone becomes a Christian, it is a marvel of divine long-suffering. Well, what about God's patience when someone becomes a Christian? Because there's a point at which you begin to hear God's good news. 
Maybe it's the point at which uh, you've, you've heard it maybe a thousand times before, but now it starts to bite, now it starts to mean something, now it starts to dig in. Or perhaps it's like that person, it's the first time they've ever cracked open a Bible. <coughs> and here they are, and they're reading it, what are these things? Who is this God? And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart, convincing you of sin, convincing you of God's righteousness, convincing you of the judgment that he's brought upon sin, in Christ Jesus and opening up a way by which you could be saved. And what did you do? I think for most of us, we were marked, first of all, by slowness. Maybe you heard and you jumped. You thought, this is wonderful, this is marvellous, this is what I need. And within moments, you were trusting in Jesus Christ. But for many people, we are dull and unresponsive. We hear the good news and we shrug it off. God speaks and says, I will save whoever calls upon my name. And we say, I'm not sure. We're crippled by doubts and fears. Rather than taking God at his word, we hold back. And then there's our stubbornness. I fought against God. I say it not to boast, but to my shame. I knew these things, and yet I fought back against God. I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't have any interest, any appetite. I resisted, I argued, I dug in. You ever tried to give a child medicine it doesn't want? You wish you had something else to pour it into, don't you? Everything's uptight. And this is the medicine of everlasting life. And I shut my teeth tight and I held my lips tight. There's our stupidity. Clinging to our sins. Wanting our sinning more than our saving. Wanting our sinful pleasures more than our saviour. Perhaps you were stupid enough to try and appease your conscience. People will try that, won't they? I'll be better today. I'll try harder. I'll go to church a bit more. I'll stop getting so drunk. I'll, I'll, you know, it's like the question, do you, um, when did you stop beating your wife? It's, the, it's the, the horrible joke question because there's no right answer to it. But it's like, did you, did you stop getting a bit as bad as you were? Did you, try and, did you try and scrub up and make yourself a little bit better? Did you try and tidy your life up as if then you could go to God and say, it's okay, I'm not as bad as I was. I've only broken all ten commandments this week rather than in the last hour. I've tried to, to, to sort myself out a little bit. You looked elsewhere for peace. You, you, like, like people, you know, I don't feel very well. You say on Facebook, I don't feel very well. What's wrong with me and what should I do about it? People look for peace with God the way they look for a cure to a disease on Facebook. They don't have a proper diagnosis and no one can offer them a real cure. But they're looking all around the world for someone, something that can make their life a little bit better. And struggling. Questioning. Bewildered. One step forward, two steps back. It's not often that salvation is so smooth and straightforward. And God doesn't give up. Is that not a marvel to you? That when you were resisting and resenting and struggling and striving, looking somewhere else, trying something different, delaying and doubting and fearing, God swept you constantly toward him. You were determined not to take the medicine. 
But God in his grace was determined that you would. And he wouldn't take away the spoon. The Lord never gave up on you, Christian. The Lord never stopped sowing those seeds. The Lord never abandoned you. He graciously pursued you and influenced you. He continued to send the good news to you. He continued to plead with you. He continued to draw you until he brought you to Jesus Christ in penitent faith. And he gave you peace and joy that you had not even known was there and that you didn't want if you had. Despite everything, he loved you and brought you to Christ. Having been patient with you until he began to work in you, he kept working in you until you saw the beauty and the kindness and the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. By his spirit's work in your heart, you rested your soul upon him to make you safe and well, to take away the fear of death and hell, to take away the misery and the sinfulness, to take away the bleakness and the darkness, and to give you peace and joy and confidence in him. And then what about God's patience after someone becomes a Christian? If you're a Christian, don't you wish you could say, I don't need God to be patient with me anymore? It's all right now. I'm, I'm fine. I never do anything that requires any patience. No, I need God to be patient still. And it's the patience of a loving father. I've been reconciled to him. God is no longer in any sense against me. I am no longer under his judgment. I no longer need to fear his righteous anger. He is my father in heaven and still I am thoughtless and still I am neglectful and still I am ignorant. I am stumbling. I'm often falling. I still sin. And what does my father in heaven do? He picks me up and he puts me back on my feet. He dusts me off. He cleans me up. He wipes off the blood, he puts on the bandages, and he puts me right once again. When I'm sinning, he doesn't cast me off. He loves me enough to chastise me. It's not loving to overlook sin. We, we saw that in our reading. My Father in heaven and yours, Christian, he doesn't overlook your sin. He deals with it. Not in a, an angry rage, but in order that you might be holy loving discipline to bring you back to the right way and to keep you on the right way. God hasn't stopped being patient with Jane any more than he stopped being patient with any of his people. What about suffering? When you're overwhelmed, when you're grieved, when you're distressed, when your, your weakness is on full display, does God, I'm fed up of you. I've done this over and over and over again yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. You can do it by yourself. If God ever said to any Christian, I'm done with you, you can do it by yourself, how many more steps would you take? But no, in the midst of your sufferings and your sorrows, God is with you. God is near you. He picks you up. He bears you up like a shepherd with a lamb in his arms. When you're striving, when you're fighting against sin, when you're doing all that you can not to, to succumb again to temptation, does God abandon you? Does God get frustrated with your small advances? 
Or does he sustain you? Does he help you? Does he teach you? Does he strengthen you? Why is it, Christian, that you have grown in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Why are you not what you were before you were converted? Why are you not what you were when you were converted? Why are you any more today like Jesus Christ than you were five days ago, five weeks ago, five months, five years? It's because God is patient with you. And he keeps on blessing you, strengthening you, sustaining you and directing you. Patience in your serving. Because when we've done everything that we should do, we're still unprofitable servants. We don't get it all right all the time. There are things that we leave out and there are things that we don't do as we should. And God does not cast us out of his household. But despite all our shortcomings, he goes on accepting us in Jesus Christ and delighting in the good things that we are given to do. Every Christian is a monument of divine patience. There is a sense in which everybody who is not a Christian is a monument of divine patience. It's true of you, however old you are or young you are, whatever your background or circumstances. If you're here this morning, I can tell you this. God has been most patient with you. Because you're here and you're breathing. The word of God is being preached. You've got clothes on your back. And you've got food to eat. You've got a roof over your head. You've got a Bible, perhaps, in your hands. You've got songs of praise on your seats. You've got people around you who will tell you about Jesus Christ. You've got a gospel, a good news about the saviour of sinners. Divine patience is an enduring marvel. And it, the patience of our Lord, the long-suffering of the Lord, is salvation. It is because God holds back from bringing his judgments and because God holds out his mercies in Christ, not just once or twice, but again and again and again and again, that anyone is saved. Spared from their sinful ways, spared from the sinful, the consequences of their sins, called to God and then kept all the way to heaven. My friends, that must never become an excuse to sin. That's what Peter says to these men and women. He says there are people who are saying, God doesn't care. God's not interested. God's not telling the truth. God's not going to punish anybody. God's not going to bring judgment on the world. God's not going to take all these things away. After all, look, everything just keeps going the way it is. Peter says, you understand, that's not God's laziness. And that's not God's forgetfulness. That's God's long-suffering. That's God's patience. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Christians then are monuments to the patience of God. It gives to every one of you here today an opportunity once again, not to indulge sin for a little bit longer, but to repent of your sins, to come to Christ, that you might find his saving mercies. The patience of God through all your days and into the glory which lies ahead. God has been patient with Jane. 
he has gone on showing his long suffering toward her. He sowed seeds through her life. When he began to deal with her more closely, he called her to himself. He has not ceased to be full of patience, mercy and goodness toward her or any of those who call upon his name. Amen.